Your email inbox contains personal and sensitive information like receipts from recent purchases or reminders of upcoming events and messages from friends and family. Unfortunately, most email services view this as data to use to target you with ads rather than private information worth protecting. Not ProtonMail. Proton believes that security, privacy, and freedom are fundamental rights. Your data belongs to you, not tech companies, governments, or hackers. Founded by scientists, ProtonMail is a secure and private email provider that protects your messages with end-to-end -end encryption and zero-access encryption so that besides you, no one can access them. ProtonMail puts you first. Click on the link in the show notes of this episode or go to protonmail.com slash data science to get an email that respects your privacy. That's protonmail.com slash data science. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco. I'm very glad to have you here. I'm podcasting from the regular office of uh, Leuven in Belgium, where I'm based. As always, this uh, um, episode will have show notes. The show notes will be published on the official website, datascienceatom.com, where you can find references and uh, the titles of the papers that I usually uh, read before <laughs> each episode. Uh, there is yet another channel that I would like you to, to, to have you, uh, which is uh, the Discord channel. That's the official uh, Discord channel of the of this podcast where you can uh, drop by and uh, and chat with us. Usually we speak about previous episodes and uh, you can uh, send us some uh, advices about also uh, past episodes, but also also propose new episodes. The one topic that you would like me to speak about in the near future, I would be very glad to have you there and of course get your hints. So, back to the show. Uh, in uh, this episode, I'm going to speak about something that I do really enjoy doing, which is data denoising. Now, data denoising is uh, uh, one of those problems in uh, engineering that uh, uh, is kind of frustrating, <laughs> and it always existed since decades. Uh, in fact, since the time of, uh, of Shannon, um, those who are into, you know, Nyquist and Shannon, uh, those who are not familiar with that, they can just, uh, you know, Google them, it's, uh, it's one of those few guys who have done a lot of stuff in uh, information technology and information theory, uh, and many of the concepts that you know, have been invented by, uh, by, by Shannon, in fact, are very real and, uh, and very actual. We are using these things still today. Now, the problem of denoising data has always existed uh, due to the fact that you know, noise is everywhere. Right, it can be uh, in in uh, in a device, so it can be depends on how you collect your data. I'm not speaking about bias. Pay attention to that. I'm speaking about noise. So even before starting, you know, pre-processing data or doing some, you know, fancy machine learning or artificial intelligence or deep learning, before we get there, there is a fundamental. Uh, a quantity that, in fact, you know, is affecting our data, and that pretty much depends on 
uh, on the device or the equipment that you are using in order to collect this data. So when I was working in the pharmaceutical industry as a data scientist, one of the major problems there when it came to, for example, medical devices uh, was uh, thermal noise. Uh, another one was uh, electronic noise, right? So whatever there is an electronic device or a component uh, that is playing some kind of role uh, in the data collection uh, process, well, that component is a, a device, right? It's, a, it's an electronic component that is subject to electricity and uh, silicon and, and all the other things that happen inside that instead of giving you a sharp one can give you 1.0000 of something, right? <laughs> and so that's pretty much uh, noise, right? That you would like to remove because uh, you want uh, the most possible or the cleanest version of your, of your data. I'm sorry to make the problem of noise, you know, to dumb it down, probably too much, um, but it's, I just want this episode to be not only self-contained, but also digestible to many. Um, there is an immense literature out there that uh, is explaining us, um, and many engineers have struggled for decades in order to remove noise from data or mitigate the problem of noise. Um, for example, probably one of the most famous you know, strategies or processes is uh, uh, Gaussians, right? So you use a uh, so-called uh, uh, Bell function or Bell curve um, that, you know, so-called Gaussian filter. So it's some, you know, it's like if you think about images, for example, but of course it applies to uh, any other data type, you would take a, let's say a pixel and and then you start smoothing all the pixels around the pixel that you are taking uh, uh, you know in consideration and so you you apply this filter all around the image and what you get is some sort of uh, you know smoothed version of your image uh, that where usually the noise is removed of course also a bit of detail uh, of the picture of the image uh, will be gone and so you know that's where the struggle is which is how much noise can I remove without uh, removing the actual signal out of the uh, out of the image and so make the image so blurred that yes I will remove all the noise all the possible noise there but I also don't have that sharpness and don't have that tiny detail that I really would like to have uh, in my images for example um, the same applies to f many other data types like uh, like audio all right uh, so sound and the audio uh, all devices are uh, come with some noise that is by you know if you if you pur purchase some of these uh, amazing speakers or or uh, audio devices uh, if you open the timesheet um, you will have the specs and these are very technical specs that you find in your component and usually there is one thing that is so called um, S and R which stands for signal to noise ratio. And it is something that engineers uh, you know, always want to be as high as possible because you want to have as much signal as possible and as, as little uh, noise as possible, right? So that ratio is important to assess how, um, how much noise is its particular device or, or process carrying. Um, yet one more uh, type of noise is, um, uh, sorry, one uh, type of filter uh, to remove noise is um, um, Fourier filters, for example, uh, and so the Fourier uh, in the Fourier domain, uh, you usually uh, take some signal. Um, think about an image or sound or whatever. You transform, you apply a Fourier transform. So you transform the signal from time 
uh, uh, domain into the frequency domain, and then you apply all your you know operations in the frequency domain. Uh, for example, you might eliminate some particular frequencies, um, usually the very high frequencies or the very low frequencies, uh, depending on, of course, the application. And then you transform back, you know, it's called inverse transform, uh, that um, uh, cleaned up uh, signal from frequency space back to human beings, right? Back to the real world. Uh, and that's called inverse transform. Now, what happens with this, um, uh, you know, uh, strategies or processes is that uh, yes you remove the noise uh, you can do probably that well actually you can definitely do that in real time uh, we have optimized hardware to perform this type of operations since decades uh, now but at the same time you um, have to make some decisions on the quality of the denoised signal that you would like to have and so you know there's always a battle between um, how much noise can I remove? How much signals I want to stay? It's always a trade-off that you have to find, and that pretty much depends on the domain you are uh, you are working in. Now, why is deep learning? Um, how is deep learning used for denoising things? Right, for denoising um, uh, signals and, and and inputs. Well, there is a group of uh, uh, research um, researchers and scientists who have um, created a, a Python library, which in my opinion is one a very interesting piece of software. Uh, the concepts behind this are not you know, extremely um, fancy uh, nowadays, which is you know, the concept of autoencoders and, uh, and deep neural networks. So it's not really uh, new anymore, but the way they have applied these concepts uh, is, uh, in my opinion, uh, quite valuable and definitely good to have and good to know because also uh, they have been applying this to uh, very special uh, imaging, um, very domain-specific, but I strongly believe that this is a methodology that can be applied across domains regardless of uh, the, um, you know, the type of the input that you are dealing with, in this case, of course, images. So what is this uh, deep interpolation? Oh, I said that. Well, it's it's called deep interpolation. That's the Python library that uh, I'm I'm uh, talking about. And um, of course, this is one of those few papers, uh, not so few anymore, but uh, one of these papers that are usually correlated with uh, uh, with uh, with source code. Uh, so um, you can also try these libraries and this uh, uh, this proof of concepts yourself. You can uh, access the GitHub. Um, again, the links will be all reported in the show notes of this episode on datascienceatome.com. So what is this uh, method about? Well, the, the method in fact is um, um, uh, observing, is, is, is observing one important aspect of data, which is the presence of um, independent local noise in um, a number of samples, right? And the correlated signals, uh, whenever you have some sort of, uh, you know, signal that is, uh, uh, I'm not saying present, present in a time series fashion, but whenever you have, for example, frames or you have, uh, you know, signals that are kind of connected to uh, each other. Uh, and so if you think about frames, you're right, uh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like if you have, uh, let's say, one second of video, uh, all the frames in the same second, 
depending on, of course, the frame per second, how many, frame, how many frames in a second you would have. Um, well, all these frames are, in fact, correlated, very much correlated to each other, right? Because there is a, you know, they belong to the same uh, second. And so, and they are very much bound into time space, right? Now, the observation is uh, that um, uh, there is a way uh, to, um, you know, so far we have been applying the traditional way of, uh, of filtering noise, which is indeed applying a filter and passing this filter throughout, throughout the, the input samples, right? So if you have an image, you take your filter, there are engineers that can design filters, uh, frequency space, uh, whatever domain we are talking about, it's not, doesn't matter anymore. But they build this filter and then they just apply this filter to the input in order to get a, a so-called uh, denoised version of the input, right? Which is the filtered version of the input. Now, in this work, however, uh, the researchers have thought about something different. That's it, that is a way to learn the um, uh, statistical properties and, in fact, the, uh, the, the properties of uh, frames with respect to their neighbors. And so that's a, 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 quite a, a quite different aspect because in this framework, the researchers learned uh, the statistical relationships between uh, samples and those statistical relationships are exploited in order to reconstruct a noiseless, a noiseless version of the signal. So as you can see, there is no filter that is applied anywhere, right? So, which means that, you know, no filter is applied to remove any noise but the learning the statistical properties, the statistical relationships between samples, we can in fact create or reconstruct a uh, almost perfectly noiseless version of the signal. So that's a completely different way of, uh, of solving the problem of noise. Um, now, uh, this is a, a easier to easier said than, than done, uh, but in fact, you know, if I want to generalize as much as possible and, and keep this episode short enough for, for people to digest, uh, that's pretty much it. So, the interpolation model is, um, in fact, a relatively complex um, uh, architecture, but it is essentially a, a neural network, and in particular, it's uh, an autoencoder. Now, the autoencoder, uh, as we have mentioned a number of times in previous episodes, I don't remember which number, honestly, just go on datascienceatome.com and uh, search or just Google it. You will find at least two episodes I spoke about autoencoders. But um, for the sake of make these episodes self-contained, an autoencoder is a neural network, in fact, that allows you to reconstruct the input from the input itself. And this means that if you have, for example, an image, you will uh, use the same image as X and Y, where X is the input, Y is the output, and in between there is a neural network that tries to minimize a loss. What's the loss? The loss is the difference between the predicted image and the ground truth, which is the real image. So if that difference is minimal, which is when you, you, know, when you minimize the, the loss function, in fact, all the weights in between have been tuned and trained uh, in order to replicate the input from the input itself. Now, why do you want to do that? Like, what's the point, right? It's, it's an identity function. You, nobody likes identity functions. <laughs> Me neither. But the problem is that, well, the good thing of the autoencoder is that 
you have the encoder and the decoder. So the encoder is uh, projecting the, uh, the input image into a lower dimensional space, let's say uh, 500 dimensions, and you use, and the decoder is using these 500 dimensions to reconstruct the, uh, the original input, which can be much, much larger than 500 dimensions. It, you know, it can be a massive uh, image, right? With a lot more, uh, more dimensions. So why would you do that? Well, because if you force the network, in this case, an autoencoder to, you know, train, if you train long enough and if you, if you find that the, 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 the error between the predicted image and the ground truth is small enough, it means that you can reconstruct the, uh, a very large image from just 500 numbers. Uh, so in fact, what you're doing is uh, you're, you're building a compressor, right? Now you're building a compressor that can generate a large input from a bunch of, of dimensions, in this case, 500. If these dimensions are much lower than 500, for example, 100 or 10, well, that means that, of course, the error will be a bit higher, but from 10 numbers, I can generate an image that is much, much bigger than 10 numbers, right? Now, why would you do that? It's because in these 10 numbers, in fact, you have uh, you have get, you, you, are, you are getting rid of noise. You know, all the things that are not really necessary to store uh, or to you know keep an eye on are completely removed. And this means that you are learning the features that characterize that particular image and that can instruct the autoencoder to generate an almost perfect version of that image just by looking at these 10 features. So in fact, you know, long story short, <laughs> the, the autoencoder uh, is not interesting per se. In, in fact, you're not interested in having the um, uh, encoder and the decoder. You just want the, the stuff in between, right? <laughs> what is in between the encoder and the decoder? There is this hidden dimensional space that is the, uh, the way you compress that image uh, and uh, in how many dimensions you compress such an image. Now, this is in fact allowing you to um, build a denoiser or denoiser because um, uh, if noise is not important, because I don't have space for noise, right? I have only 100 dimensions, right? So I have to get rid of noise. Well, then in fact, you are forcing that autoencoder to forget about noise and just keep an eye on uh, the salient features that allow you to recreate the target. So what is the target? Well, when you're dealing with, for example, multiple frames, think about video frames, right? Or audio frames. Right? Now, when you're dealing with frames, which is, uh, you know, this um, sequence of, um, of inputs um, at a particular time, and there is some sort of, you know, correlation uh, a, a bound, these are bound by time. Well, what happens there? is that the researchers found a way to uh, feed this uh, interpolation model, which in fact is an autoencoder and a neural network, feeding this network in a particular way. And so I don't want to oversimplify, but in fact I have to. <laughs> Think about you have three frames, frame one, frame two, and frame three. Now you feed the network with frame one and frame three, and the Y, which is the, the target, is going to be frame two, right? Now, what happens is that if you omit the center frame or, you know, group of samples, 
and you use that as a target, what is the interpolation model learning is in fact a, you know, a way to predict the omitted center. But since that omitted center is uh, temporally related to the input samples, well, um, the independent local noise will, uh, will be gone. <laughs> so it sounds like magic. And, and in fact, you know, if you look at the pictures and uh, uh, on the GitHub uh, repo, there is a very nice schematic that introduces the principles of deep interpolation. It, it really looks like magic. Like uh, this is what, happen, what happens in, in uh, phase one, you know, during training. It's the way you feed the network uh, that makes a difference rather than the network per se. The network is a simple autoencoder, so nothing fancy anymore. It was fancy back in the days, probably 10 years ago, not anymore, okay? <laughs> but in fact, what is fancy is the way you put these basic blocks together and the way you feed this particular network to get amazing results. And in the second, in the second phase, of course, you put the model into inference mode, which means that uh, you have this streaming of input data, you pass them through the interpolation model, and boom, you get denoised data in the output. So once you train your model, of course, uh, you can leverage that model to denoise data that you have never seen before. So, you know, this is something that works apparently on paper. I haven't tried this myself, to be honest. I haven't had the time, but I will. I promise you, I will try this because it, there is, I'm very much curious to know how it performs on, you know, regular images uh, due to the fact that um, there, these researchers have applied this to, in my opinion, very uh, specific domains um, uh, out there, for example, two-photon imaging or fMRI, um, you know, these are very specific medical images and very specific domains where, you know, certain uh, conditions can hold and maybe uh, the same conditions do not hold in the most general or generic domain that we deal with everyday life. We don't deal with, thank God, with uh, MRIs every day. Uh, we do deal with uh, regular images every day. So one thing that I will definitely try to do is to um, use this model on regular images and see how it goes. And the fact that uh, the source code is there, uh, it's a TensorFlow model, uh, you know, it's gonna be much easier for me to, uh, to understand uh, the code, to understand how the, 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 process, the entire process works, and also try it myself. And I definitely invite you to do so because uh, it's always good to have a theoretical uh, version of the algorithm, of, of, a, of a concept or a process, how, how it works, and then of course try it yourself uh, with real code. Uh, I think that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I invite you again on our Discord channel. The links will be, of course, added to the show notes of this episode on uh, datascienceatome.com. Uh, also, don't forget to leave me a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify or both. Why not? Uh, I would really uh, appreciate you leaving a review hopefully positive, and <laughs> that's my currency. Uh, that's the only thing I ask. And for the rest, uh, stay safe and take care and talk to you next time. Bye. This episode is supported by my company, Amethyx Technologies. Now, when I created Amethyx, I had one objective in mind, which was supporting human decisions in uh, complex data-driven scenarios. And that's exactly what Amethyx is today, is an independent lab that builds data solutions for your business. Honestly, I'm very proud of several achievements in the domains like healthcare, 
pharma, supply chain, energy, and fintech. So I really invite you to check out ametix.com. That's A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.